Welcome, everyone, to Politics Express, the Post Writer's Politics Podcast. I'm your host, the Post Writer's Politics Editor, Lars Emerson, and this week we're here to talk about the 2022 primaries. We're talking Senate, House, Governor, Local, all the major trends we've noticed in these primaries, how Trump's endorsees are doing, and what remaining primaries we have to look forward to. With me today, though it's actually been a minute since we collaborated in podcast form, Mike, is our resident party primary expert and my dear friend, our editor-in-chief, Mike Levito. <laughs> Such a lovely introduction. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be back. I'm, I'm, this is my first podcast back in Washington, D.C., and I'm just very happy about it. Closer to the source of power. <laughs> well, and closer to you, Mike. True. So I think we should just dive right in and, and talk about how this year has gone in terms of primaries, like uh, the highest profile primaries, what people need to know, what are specific things that that we feel were undercovered uh, this year. Because we've gone through most of the primaries, right? Uh, we're recording as of July 25th. Yeah, there aren't very many left. Certainly not very many interesting. I mean, there are some interesting, one, interesting ones left. Um, but yeah, we, we've, the, the bulk of primary season is over now. So one of the biggest through lines uh, that's been reported this year is, is Trump's endorsees and how, how Trump's legacy and how his sway over the Republican Party has dominated Republican primaries, especially at like the gubernatorial and uh, Senate level. So I guess I'll, I'll pit, put to you first, Mike, let's talk about Trump's endorsement record. And uh, are his candidates doing well? Um, well, well now, now you're making me actually pull up his endorsement record because that would only be helpful to have in front of you. So here, here's, here's what, what I'll say about his endorsement record. Is that um, he is, uh, is he doing well? Yes. It really depends how you calculate it, right? He has endorsed a lot of incumbents who are going to win their races anyway. Right. Um, so in that regard, yeah, he's doing fine because, like, you know, that's 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 not a very big deal. As far as races where he expected to have an impact, or where, you know, his endorsement was expected to carry some weight, um, I would say that by and large he's done pretty well actually. Um, but there have been some I would say very glaring um, exceptions. To that, I know the most obvious being Georgia, right? Yeah, like Trump was going full scorched earth in Georgia, he wanted to replace the entire executive suite governor, <laughs> attorney general, secretary of state. He had insurgent candidates in each of those, those primaries because the incumbents, which were um, what's his name, Brian, Brian Kemp, Brad Raffensperger, and Chris Carr, they all refused to intervene on his behalf in the 2020 election, um, and so he endorsed you know, insurgents in each of those races. Uh, none of them won, and none of them even drove the incumbents to a runoff. Um, you know, people expected actually Raffensperger to get tra- dragged into a runoff. It did not come particularly close. Yeah. Um, and uh, so if you're looking at Georgia, he actually did very poorly. Not only in, the, in those races either, he had, there were actually two down-ballot um, congressional races that where he endorsed um, two people. One of them was Vernon Jones in Georgia's 10th, who was like, kind of got like sort of like minorly famous because he was a democratic state legislature became republican endorsed trump in 2020 the other was jake evans who was the son of trump's ambassador to luxembourg who was running in george sixth um those two candidates lost to mike collins and rich mccormick respectively i should point out that like neither mccormick nor collins are like mitt romney style moderates right like they are still very much like from the trump wing of the party they just did not happen to get Trump's endorsement. But, you know, certainly in Georgia, like, Trump's brand is not what it used to be, and it's not making a difference. Perhaps it might not even make a difference at all um, in these races. Well, so we've known for a long time, and I think 538 is kind of famous for putting it this way, that Trump pads his numbers, like you said, right? Trump, <laughs> a lot of the people Trump endorses are literally unimposed. Yeah. Uh, that helps. A lot of the people he endorses to win, like, in the general election are just Republicans in, like, Wyoming and North Dakota and, like, 
races that they would have won anyway. Uh, so, you know, in up uh, t- taking this stat for you. So by the end of August in the 2020 election, Trump had made 111 endorsements. Mm-hmm. 21 of those candidates were actually unopposed in their yeah. primaries. And another 67 were just incumbents who mm-hmm. always, almost always would win renomination anyway. Right. Um, I should note there is one glaring exception to that, which is Madison Cawthorn. Yes. Who Trump did endorse, <laughs> but who wound up losing to Chuck Edwards in his primary for the U.S. House in North Carolina. Yes. Um, but I think you raise an interesting point with Georgia that I want to spend a little time on, because I feel like Georgia's having a moment. Yes. Like a very serious... Everyone talks about Georgia. And it I is Georgia, like the battleground state now. Yeah. And, and Georgia... I want to say the Georgia primary was maybe the most anticipated primary of the year, because we all knew... I mean, as far back as, like, you know, a year and a half ago that Trump was out to get these guys. And we've just been, like, waiting and watching. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder if the nationalization of that race hurt Trump's record. Like, you look at Trump endorsed a lot of people in states like Ohio or Pennsylvania, which, you know, you had kind of highly publicized races there, too. But the Georgia race was, like, a multitude above that, it feels like. Does that? Do you? I don't know. Do you know where I'm going with that? Do you think that mattered? I do because I mean, a- after um, his candidates lost, you know, there were reports saying suggesting that he might even just stop endorsing in general, so he would stop losing. And actually, if you look at some of the endorsements he's made since, they've been safer bets in that they are people who everybody expected to win anyway. Um, well, t- I mean, you know, maybe we'll talk about this later. But in Alabama, for instance, right? Like he endorsed Katie Britt in the runoff after he unendorsed Mo Brooks. It was a whole thing. But like, right. everybody knew Katie Britt was going to win, right? Like, his endorsement was just a cherry on top. It didn't really have any effect at that point. And so I think he's definitely been, like I said, a little bit more cautious. He has not, um, you know, in the missouri Gurry Senate race, right? Like, that is one race where the Republican is favored to win. It's a very controversial race because Eric Greitens, who is the mm. controversial uh, governor, former governor who had to resign in disgrace, um is running and trump has not endorsed in that race yet at all right um and that's one where you would think he might have some sway um so yeah i, I think it's made him a little more cautious a little more maybe judicious i mean he, again he has had some, had some successes, successes excuse me but even then the successes have been close you know you think about states like ohio and pennsylvania where he endorsed people in high profile senate races jd vance and Mehmet Oz, respectively and Though those he, those guys won he endorsed but not someone by bef- overwhelming margins. Yeah, and he endorsed someone before Oz too, right? His, his record in Pennsylvania is kind of mixed because he endorsed Sean Par- Parnell, right? Who withdrew from the primary, so I yes. would count that as a loss for Trump. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, Oz really squeaked by there. Yeah, um, and the uh, the Wisconsin gubernatorial election is the other one I had thought of. Is that mm. he um, did not? In- Actually, excuse me, he has endorsed, but that one has almost been entirely like an example of like a petty um like grievance he endorsed tim mitchell's or michael's actually know how to pronounce this guy's last name against rebecca cleefish who a lot of people think will win but he really only did that because um one of tim mitchell's kids is friends with a political enemy of trump's um (laughs) and like that's kind of the only reason it's been implied why he endorsed excuse me rebecca cleefish's kid is friend with a, with an opponent of Trump's. So that's really the only reason why he endorsed the other candidate. Um, so yeah, it's his. They've been kind of unless he has like made the endorsement already. Like I don't know how many other major endorsements again that are not super safe. I expect him to be making, but I could also be completely wrong. I don't. Know. Right, and I mean, you talk about super safe. You've got the races in. Uh, like he, his endorsement in Nevada, right, of Laxalt. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that many times on this podcast and just in articles on the site. That was never really in question that Laxalt was going to win. Right. Uh, and I believe Trump endorsed a couple of people in the Texas uh, races too, right, as he had an endorsee for uh, attorney general and for, I believe he endorsed Abbott for re-election for governor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was that big Prescott-Bush... Oh, yeah, that was Attorney General. Yeah, he he endorsed Ken Paxton, um, who, you know, was the face 
in many ways of the lawsuits trying to overturn the election. Right. It was Texas v. Pennsylvania was the lawsuit, um, Texas being Ken Paxton. Um, and, of course, Paxton ended up beating George Prescott, Bush, the son of Jeb Bush, pretty handily in that, uh, in, in that primary. It, it, I hadn't thought about this when we were talking about the episode earlier, but... So many of these people, the press I've seen in the last couple of weeks have actually been, it's been a little like panicked coming out of national Republican world. I'm talking about the Republican Trump endorsees in Georgia. So the only surviving Trump endorsee at the statewide level in Georgia was Herschel Walker, the Senate nominee, yes, who yeah. is a walking disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, J.D. Vance's campaign, apparently he's not doing anything. Apparently he's not going anywhere. He, he is. <laughs> his most recent campaign appearance was in Israel. <laughs> and as some, as some Ohio political reporter joked, I know that Ohio's gerrymandered pretty bad. I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah. Um, and he's no, also, um, I mean, there was a poll. And again, like, you take a lot of these polls with a grain of salt. But there was a poll that actually showed Vance trailing Tim Ryan recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he's not been hitting the fairs, the state fairs, is, is the piece I was reading this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, Mehmet Oz has not pulled away. I'm a no. little more bullish on him than I think most people are, just because I think people in some parts of Pennsylvania could be really attracted to him. <laughs> just they see the name and they're like, hell yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith about about that race. But the thing is, there there was an article. It was either today or a few days ago where Nadal has really not raised that much money, mm. and part of that is because, you know, there's been it took it was a long time before he was like officially declared the nominee. Um, that Senate race went into a recount. Um, that Senate race is interesting because it featured one candidate named Kathy Barnett, who was so far to the right that even Newsmax was like, "Please do not nominate this person." <laughs> right. Right. Um, so. Uh, and, and, and most of, like, the Trump wing got behind Memonaz, even though he is kind of, like, he is a coastal elite, right? Like, oh, there's no, well, like, In the same way, that. Trump is a coastal elite, and yes. J.D. Vance I, is a coastal elite. As was Dave McCormick. I mean, like, the true sort of, like, working-class populist is John Fetterman in that race. Yeah. Like, he also has, like, a Harvard degree. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's he... And, and the, the things you have to remember about Fetterman is that he has, like, not done a lot of campaigning himself because he had a stroke recently. Right. Right? And you would think that would slow down his campaign, but and yet Oz has not been able to take advantage of that, really. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Just I've, There's been some reporting out of Texas that I, even Beto O'Rourke, may he lose another election because it seems like he will. But, like, he's feeling somewhat bullish. He's kind of got some steam coming up against Abbott. Um Laxalt's not outperforming Cortez Masto thus far in Nevada. A lot of like these Trump endorsees onto the general, they're not doing very well. No, and it's you know they're not. I think it's pretty interesting as you look at in almost all those races, maybe not Pennsylvania because pretty much everybody, all the major candidates in that race were like quote unquote outsiders, right? There were you didn't have any office holders running there, but you look at Ohio, Josh Mandel would have been, like, a perfect compromise between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump, right? Mm. Like, he is very, I mean, he is over the cliff right wing, but he's he was the Attorney General of Ohio, right? He has some governing experience. Right. Um, you look at a state like um, Georgia, I mean, Herschel Walker is really the biggest name running, so I, I don't know how much they would have you know, been able to do there, but um, there are just, like, a couple of, like, and I... Arizona, too, right? Again, that, that election hasn't happened yet. But, you know, it seemed like Mark Brinovich, who was, again, another attorney general who sued to overturn the election, is now being overtaken by Blake Masters, who is, like, along with J.D. Vance, sort of like one of Peter Thiel's friends, who's now decided they want to run for Senate, hmm. um, which would be disturbing to anybody who is not a friend of Peter Thiel. Um, so, yeah, there's just been a lot of, like, uh, you know weird candidates in a way and trump has endorsed most of them and that's the thing right it's like there is this weird almost sort of like aesthetics over policy they never believe this but there's an aesthetics over policy uh component to what feels like an aesthetics over policy component to trump's endorsements which is like 
Well, I think a lot of people are anticipating him to possibly endorse Eric Greitens. And why some, like, Trump world people like Michael Flynn have endorsed Eric Greitens. Yeah. Because Eric Schmidt, who's the incumbent attorney general of Missouri, is also running in that race. Vicki Hartzler, who is a congresswoman from Missouri, is also running in that race. Um, they, again, Missouri, very Republican state. Any Republican is going to be favored to win that race. But, like, Greitens turns it from, like, solid R to, like, lean R. Or not like lean R, likely R, right? Right. Um, and yet, because he has this kind of, like, there's a grievance element to it. There's an aggrieved element to his candidacy, right? He's trying to sort of, like, reclaim what he felt was robbed from him when, you know, he stole from his own campaign and spent it on a mistress. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, that's why I think a lot of people expect Trump to possibly endorse him. So there has just been, it's been, like, an, a weird pattern, and you can just kind of, like, feel Mitch McConnell kind of, like, wringing his hands, worried about how... Oh, you know, this, this should be a Republican year for the Senate, but it might not be because of some of the candidates who are breaking through. Right. I, I I wrote a piece like talking about how Trump's 2022 endorsements had gone so far. I, and I think this was in like late May that Mike let me publish it. <laughs> um, but I sort of like ended it by saying, I think it is without question that Trump's endorsements uh, – help so many candidates on the margin, right? It's like these candidates in these close races, and at the end of the day, your your endorsement only matters on the margin. It doesn't, it, mm-hmm. Trump endorsing, you know, someone who faces no competition is an endorsement that is worth nothing. Right, yeah. But I don't think you could question that Mehmet Oz and, uh, you know, Madison Cawthorn would have mm-hmm. done as well as they did, which is, you know, Cawthorn still lost, but I think he would have mm-hmm. lost by a lot more, um, or like in West Virginia with uh, uh, Republicans Alex Mooney and David McKinley in the House were put up against each other. Mm-hmm. You cannot deny that Trump's endorsement like threw Mooney over the top, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And then same thing in South Carolina when Tom Rice lost. Lost by a pretty hefty margin yeah. in his primary because he used one of the House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump. Um, despite, and he also, I believe, was the House Republican. Didn't he also vote to not accept the... Yeah, he also voted to not accept the uh, the election results. So he doesn't want anybody to be president. <laughs> just, um. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> or he, he's yeah. like a big Nancy Pelosi stan or something. Yeah. Yes, yeah, since <laughs> that he regrets voting to not, to not accept the electors. Um, <laughs> he didn't understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I just yeah. love the, like, strict... Um, <laughs> you know... There's something very parliamentary about that. It's like, no, there will be no president. Very small government. Just right. no yeah, executive it's like branch. It's the true Jeffersonian yeah. kind of thing. Um, okay, so uh, another through line of this primary season has been Democrats uh, boosting hard-right Republican candidates. Mm. And we've seen this very prominently in at least two states so far, and those are Colorado and Maryland. Yes. Um, and... Basically, I mean, what happened in Colorado is, and I, I voted in Colorado for my entire life, and so I, it was kind of disheartening to see this. Is It's just bad politics, no matter what party does this, in my opinion. But the Colorado Democratic Party has two relatively uncompetitive uh, statewide races, right? It has the gubernatorial race where incumbent Governor Jared Polis is probably going to be fine and win re-election. And then it has the uh, Senate race where incumbent Democratic Senator Michael Bennett is also probably going to be fine and win re-election. So the Democratic Party decided instead of shoring them up or maybe helping out another state, they would spend millions of dollars to make sure that the Republicans nominated or at least run ads to boost or imply uh, that Republicans should nominate the furthest right candidate to make this race even easier for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Colorado, at least, that very much blew up in their face, right? Is They spent millions of dollars, and Republicans in Colorado picked the two more moderate candidates that Democrats didn't want to run against. Mm-hmm. How, how do we feel about this strategy? <laughs> um, it's stupid and a waste of money. <laughs> it's, it's very disheartening. I don't care yes. if you are a Democrat or a Republican in either of these states it's how do you not think that this is so it's just wrong it is so anti-democratic wrong um 
it's just kind of gross. It makes me feel icky. Yeah, and, and you know, it's just one of those things too, where it's like, I think if you're if you're a Democratic Party who truly believes that like the Trump movement can signal the end of American democracy, I actually think you should be doing everything in your power to boost like the least farthest right Republicans that you can. <laughs> Right? Like, this is antithetical to the idea of um, building, like, a popular front against, right. like, a fascistic threat. Right? Like, there is just, like, not to sound, like, too socialist, but it's just, like, there is just, like, you know, um, there's just something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense about it. And, like, I, I understand it on one level, but at the same time, it's, like, if you had polled 100 Democrats in 2016 about what presidential candidate they would have most prefer Hillary Clinton to run against. Right. My guess is ninety, like ninety percent of them would have said Donald Trump. Right. And we Dude. all know how that turned out. <laughs> Did we so, not learn a lesson there? Yes. Be, be careful what you wish for. And so I, I should say, so they, they also did this in Maryland, right? It's, yes. They tried to boost Dan Cox, <laughs> and this was actually successful. Yeah. It, and it was interesting, right? Because it was really a fight between again the Trump wing of the party. You had Dan Cox, who was endorsed by Trump, by Michael Flynn. Uh, by Doug Mastriano, who's like the openly Christian nationalist Republican running for Pennsylvania governor. Yeah. Um, people like that against uh, Kelly Schultz, who was endorsed by Larry Hogan, who is like this anti-Trump Republican who's currently governor of Maryland. And I guess the thinking is that, well, you know, Maryland, despite being so Democratic, has elected Larry Hogan the past two cycles. <laughs> so we have to really shore up to make sure that Republicans don't do that again. And I and they and right instead of being like, well, this is a blue state that can occasionally vote red in in gubernatorial elections, um, they didn't think, well, you know, that might still happen if we elect like the far right whack job in the form of Van Cox. Um, so yeah. So here's what Maryland, the Maryland Democratic Party has kind of said, or its defenders have kind of said, is they've said, so. How the parties have done this isn't like the Democratic Party's donating money to the guy, right? They're running s- mm. s- soft, soft money issue ads saying so and so too right or too conservative for Colorado, too conservative for Maryland. So that if you're a Republican voter who really likes Trump, you're like, oh, this guy really upsets. You know, this is my kind of guy because this other guy is too moderate for for Colorado, and you know. And so the Maryland Democratic Party has sort of justified by explaining, no, 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 we're just jumping to the general election early so that the predominantly Democratic electoral electorate in Maryland knows that this guy is crazy. <laughs> Which, you know, I appreciate the argument, but you're still spending a lot of money talking about this guy, and we all know what you're doing. Yeah. And, like, yeah, and maybe... Maybe in Maryland, too, if you want to be really sneaky, you could say, like, well, it was a very close Democratic primary. And actually, they didn't know for until a few days after um, votes were cast who the nominee was actually going to be. Ended up being Wes Moore. He's also a very interesting candidate. He's another, like, out, he has never, he's like, just like an author and, like, a businessman. Um, I think he was Oprah's book club. Like, he has never held political office. But for whatever reason, he got the endorsement of, like, most of, like, the Democrats in the Maryland legislature and also lots of, like, House Democrats from Maryland as well. Um, anyway. Um, so you could almost even be like, well, hey, like, we're just getting the jump because we don't, you know, we don't want to be like Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania who has to wait until he can start running against John Fetterman. Right. You know. But I think it's a pretty, like, weak argument because we, we all know what they're actually doing. Right. You know? And I think it's just, like, it, it reeks of... It is almost literally, not almost literally, it, you're basically just playing with fire, you know? It, yeah, it, it, it feels, it, it feels like a, and I realize I'm saying this while so many parts of the Republican Party are actively acting in bad faith, but this is a bad faith electioneering effort by Democrats, and it, it should bother people, Yeah, I think. Um, I don't know let's keep talking about the Democrats. Let's talk about like on the Democratic side. So we talked about Trump's endorsees on the Republican primaries. <laughs> We're not going to talk about Biden's endorsees. Don't worry. Cause I don't, I don't actually know if anyone's tracking that. Has Biden yeah, been making I, endorsements? <laughs> I don't think, I actually don't know that he really has been. Yeah. Um, 
But a you know a main topic of discussion in Democratic primaries has been this <laughs> perennial the left versus the center. Uh, can more left wing candidates finally get more seats in Congress, or are the centrists who have won these elections uh, the better better choice? And then this has showed up in a in a few states. It, in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Oregon, uh, and even at the local level. There's been a lot of local stories about this, too. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, you're asking? Is that a question? <laughs> not not really, really, but it, it was. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah it, it's, it's been interesting. And I, this has always been, I think, an, an, an element in, in some form of democratic politics. I think it really kicked into gear, obviously, in 2016, with Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, and then especially in 2018 when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez unseated Joe Crawley, because um, Crawley was yeah you have to remember like Crawley was like basically tapped to be the next speaker after Pelosi, his hmm. um, next Democratic speaker at least. And so yeah, you've had again this, there hasn't been like uh, I don't know that there's I was about to say there hasn't been a meaningful geographic trend. That's not entirely true. It's mostly been like very urban centric as as one can imagine. Um, of like some progressive challengers picking off, um, in some cases, uh, moderate incumbents. Like the most famous is like Kurt Schrader in Oregon, right? Yeah. He lost in a redrawn uh, congressional d- district. He lost to Jamie McLeod Skinner, who again, not like probably not as far left as like AOC, but like more generally more progressive than Schrader, who you know he voted against like. Medicare drug negotiation and things like that, right? Like, he has a very moderate um, voting record. Um, Summer Lee defeated... Um, I, I forget the name of the person she defeated, but Summer Lee, uh, who was actually, I believe, endorsed by the Democratic Socialists of America, she won the Democratic primary for the Pittsburgh area house seat. Um, and that's... It, it was like... A, there have been a few of these races. Like, there were a couple of ra- local races in North Carolina that... Um, reflect this as well, but there was this was also a big like uh, the um, the the person she defeated was endorsed by AI PAC, which is a pro-Israel um, PAC, who have endorsed a lot of Democratic candidates, and you have also had a lots of basically pro-Palestine candidates running against those uh, AI PAC endorsees. Summer Lee was one of them, and that would be an interesting race because her opponent's name is Mike Doyle, which is also in the name of the current Democratic incumbent there. <laughs> Um, so I think I think there was actually like some kind of like attempt by the Democrats to make Mike Doyle's name be like Michael Doyle instead of Mike Doyle so people can get confused (laughs) so that this is all just like a whole weird situation and then you've had some like unsuccessful attempts at the congressional level as well just like Cisneros ran against Henry Cuellar again Um, she lost but just barely Um, Cuellar of course really close yeah it was it was it was only like hundreds of votes um, Cuellar is, of course, the only remaining anti-abortion Democrat in the House. Um, and then you had Nina Turner, who lost to Chantel Brown in the special election for, like, the Cleveland area House seat. I believe it was, like, a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and she only lost by 5%. Then she lost by, like, 33%. This time, she's still been very upset about that. <laughs> um, you know, she has become kind of, like the uh one like she was like a big part of bernie's campaign but now even bernie allies are like please please shut up like please um stop doing what you're doing because now she wants to run as an independent for president um ah yeah she she was running for hud secretary marcia fudge's seat right yes yes yes, yeah yeah um um yeah the local level as well (laughs) i mean if if you want to i was gonna i was gonna sort of bring up I don't know that you. I, I I don't know how you talk about the the Senate primary on the Democratic side in Ohio, where you had Tim Ryan, and this ended up being an overwhelming victory for Tim Ryan. I think he got like seventy percent of the vote. Uh, but he and I find Tim I find Tim Ryan so hard to like pin down because he's very like labor focused. But he also like kind of ran against Nancy Pelosi for speaker. Yeah. Um, 
And that, but it was not a particularly competitive primary. It was just, it was interesting. Mor- Morgan Harper, who was like an attorney and community organizer, uh, ran against him in that primary. Um, I, I don't. Uh, well, I feel like the the she the, was to the left of Ryan. No, in in some ways, yes, I think Ryan is interesting in that he is certainly pivoting. You know, he's always had kind of like a protect, protectionist streak in him. Yeah, um, I think that's mostly just due to like the area of, of Ohio that he represents. Uh, he's he's kind of I feel like tried to be like Sherrod Brown basically. Mm-hmm. He's more or less Sherrod Brown's protege, um, but I, he's also I think taking like a more outwardly sort of. He's been like I would not describe Sherrod Brown as like a centrist. He is actually very socially liberal in addition, but he is like anti free trade. Whereas like Tim Ryan's like anti free trade and tries to position himself as like a centrist. You know, he's he just he's trying to like basically, he's he's trying to not associate disassociate himself with like the rest of the Democratic Party because he thinks that's what's going to make him win. Um, a Senate race where this does kind of play out is Pennsylvania, where Ooh, yeah. John Fetterman, you know, certainly one of the more colorful uh, Senate candidates this cycle. Um, you know, he, he I don't think he owns a tie. He wears shorts a lot. You know, he's <laughs> just this really huge guy with a big beard. Um, he beat Connor Lamb, who was a you know a, a moderate congressman from the Pittsburgh area, um, and Malcolm Kenyatta, who was to the left of Fetterman, who was um, a, a Pennsylvania state legislator. But he beat them very comfortably. Yeah, I actually think he may have won all all the counties in the state, and he did it with like very little endorsements from elected officials, if any. Like the Democratic establishment was entirely behind Connor Lamb. And Fetterman, who's lieutenant governor, ends up winning anyway. And again, he, he has taken an interesting track where he endorsed Bernie in 2016. I don't know if he did in 2020. He may have. Um, and he, uh, you know, again, is is very, like, he, he's just like, I'm, I want to expand health care any way possible. If it's Medicare for all, great. If it's just expanding to Obamacare, great. Um, he's very into legal marijuana. Um but he has moved to the center on trade and on immigration especially. So he's also running this other kind of like hybrid, like almost like progressive isolationist, if you want to call it that. It's not, that's probably like take that's probably like harsher than it, it, it really is, but that's kind of more or less the strategy. I know the Atlantic kind of said that his campaign was it was like the workers' wages and weed campaign. Yeah. <laughs> um we, and yeah, I think they described it as, as like a populist, populist yeah. campaign. And like his, his big thing that he's emphasizing now is that Memonaz is not actually from Pennsylvania. And I saw someone describe it as like nativist, and it's like it's taking it a little too far. But um, stativist, I'm yeah. coining a word. Um, and he, he's very much like the internet candidate as well. Like uh, he, he, he he's he's endlessly amusing. He yes. is very fascinating. Did like did you see that um, Oz tweeted a like weird photoshopped image of like Fetterman and Biden in like a family portrait type setting, um, <laughs> trying to like tie him to inflation and stuff, and then Fetterman replied with the graphic design is my passion meme, <laughs> um, like trying to try to like he's just been like trolling Mehmet Oz like on Twitter uh, ever since the the, uh, the the general campaign started. Um, so there's that. But the other place where this has really played out is at the local level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it gets a little more granular at the local level because kind of like the other big narrative that we can't really talk about now because all these elections are happening, well, not all of them, but most of them are happening within the parties um, and not, you know, one party versus another. It is this sort of like fear slash reality of a rightward drift of lots of minority groups, specifically Latinos. Um, to the Republican Party and kind of like a reaction against sort of like some of the socially progressive and like criminal justice reform policies of the Democratic Party. Basically a backlash like the summer of 2020. That was a big thing in 2021 in like the New York City local elections, which I wrote an article for the Post writer about. Um, People credited Eric Adams, who was a former police officer, winning the mayorality to that. and this kind of happened in San Francisco as well, where you had uh, two recall attempts that were successful. 
One was against three members of the city's uh, school board who, um, like, the big issue in that election was that they took a, like, selective high school you had to test into, and they took the testing requirement out, so it just became a lottery system. Right. And then they also did things like they tried to change name, the names of schools named after George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and all these sort of basically, like, impure, quote-unquote, like, historical figures. Um, they got kicked out. And then you also had their uh, the district attorney of San Francisco, Chesa Bowden, who is, like, his parents were literally members of the Weather Underground. Um, you know, he has this kind of, like, left-wing personage, but he also um, was blamed for the rise in crime in San Francisco. You know, he, he kind of um, adopted policies where he wasn't prosecuted. Well, people accused him of not prosecuting misdemeanors as vigorously enough. Um, you know, they thought he was basically kind of like, you know, he, he relied a lot on diversionary programs. People weren't going to jail. He lost his recall as well. Again, there is a huge debate and there are millions and millions of articles written about whether or not the rising crime is his fault, whether or not it's the police department's fault, whether or not he's actually tougher on crime than people think he is. You could spend literally a week reading about Chesa and so I'm not going to rehash the whole thing here. But in Los Angeles, kind of the opposite has happened where you've had a number of, and by number I mean like maybe three or four, so not like a trillion, but like you have had a handful of city council members who are ostensible moderates losing to candidates who are backed by DSA, backed by other left-wing groups. And in the mayoral election, people were really up on the candidacy of Rick Caruso. Used to be a Republican. He is like a real estate magnate. He built a lot of malls and stuff. And he had kind of like a tough on crime, tough on homelessness message. Um, and people, he was kind of the front runner going into it, but once, and California has a top two primary, um, so, you know, in a lot of cases, like two Democrats, two Republicans go to the general election. Um, but when all the votes were counted, it actually turns out Karen Bass, who's currently a congresswoman, and who is much more progressive than Caruso, you know, so progressive that people thought she would be a liability if she was on Biden's ticket. Um, she was being considered for vice president. Um, she actually came out ahead in the first round of balloting. So... There, the sort of like, you know, backlash to 2020 to quote unquote defund the police uh, has had uh, varying results thus far at the local level. Well, yes, well, well said, well, well captured. It's it's interesting that it's all playing out in California. I just feel like that's gotten the most attention. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened in Philadelphia too. You know, their progressive DA he won re-election after a lot of people thought he wouldn't. Mm. It, it is I, I am curious to hear how it shakes out because you know the, if, if you read if you spend five minutes a day reading the news you think oh these people were too liberal and <laughs> crime went up and so they were voted out if you read ten minutes reading a day you probably think huh this you know maybe they lost for this reason and then if you spend like an hour reading a day you have no idea exactly, it's just yeah. so um I mean, it's, it's, it's that we could do like three episodes it, on why crime has gone up. It almost leads you down like a rabbit hole of like the nature of truth where it's like, right. you know, it's like, well, these statistics all had to be reported. So is there stuff that's not being reported? Like it's, you know, it's, it becomes a whole thing. Right. Um, well, yeah. So the, the left versus center thing, do you, do you want to call a winner so far? I, I guess I'd ask. I think it's kind of a draw. I mean, again, like, I think with the Trump endorsements, if you're an incumbent, you're generally going to be, unless you're Kurt Schrader, you're generally going to be okay. Um, yeah. I, I guess I guess I'll kind of put it this way. I think the Democratic primaries have been way less interesting than the Republican primaries oh, yeah. this yeah. cycle. And I think that's usually true just because Democrats don't tend to nominate people who get a lot of headlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's... It's like notable. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think I think it's because Democrats are trying to like hold on to power as opposed to take it. Mm. So yeah. I think for a lot of people, they don't see as much opportunity in running against you know certain incumbents. I mean, you have some, uh, you know, you have some people who always run in a primary just because it's the, it's what they do. It's what they do every two years. But um, yeah, there's has there hasn't been a lot of. Um, there's been a lot going on. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll talk about the biggest primaries we're watching going forward. 
If you're a fan of the Postwriters articles, podcasts, and projects, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. It's a once-a-week digest of everything we've worked on, what the site is up to, and other things we'd recommend each Monday. We don't believe in subjecting you to daily, annoying emails, but we do believe in keeping our most passionate and loyal supporters in the loop on what we've been up to. We know how inconvenient and annoying it is to have your inbox flooded with constant reminders and useless material. That's why we run a curated weekly newsletter that gives you a once-a-week scoop. New subscribers help us know how many people are reading and listening to our work and want to hear more from us. So go to thepostwriter.com newsletter to sign up now. And we're back. So let's talk about the primaries we're watching going forward. Like we're saying, we've gone through most of them at this point, but there are some big states we have not gotten to. Uh, we're talking the Arizonas of the world. We spent a lot of time, you mentioned uh, Missouri. Uh, you mentioned Wisconsin. What, uh, right off the bat, I guess let's jump into Arizona. That's August 2nd. What, what are we watching there? Yeah, so like with a lot of these states, it's the Senate race and it's the gubernatorial race. Um, I mentioned before, kind of like, if you had asked me a year ago, who's going to win the Arizona Republican Senate uh, Senate nomination, I would have said Mark Brnovich, who is the current Attorney General of Arizona. Now it looks like it'll probably be Blake Masters, who um, is another guy who has never held office. Like I said, he is one of like the Peter Thiel-backed candidates, um, which Peter Thiel, if you don't know is one of the co-founders of paypal um he has bankrolled a lot of he's starting to bankroll a lot of candidates he has published in the past some basically like like monarchist like (laughs) arguments basically like there's like a real fear that he represents this like um basically not like not anti-democratic as in the party but like anti-democratic as in this system of government kind of like (laughs) wave um it's and and there's lots of articles you can read about him as well um, again, he and J.D. Vance are like best friends. Like J.D. Vance thanks him in the acknowledgments and hillbilly elegy. Um, uh-huh. And then there's also the gubernatorial election, which uh, in is is and that's interesting because I feel like well I shouldn't say there. Um, I would say most of the gubernatorial elections this year, um, if they're gonna flip, most people think they will flip from Democrat to Republican. You know, like Wisconsin, Kansas, things like that. And then you have like Massachusetts and Maryland, which are going to go the other way, possibly. Mm. Um, but in Arizona, you have a very real chance of a Democrat winning uh, that election. The most likely nominee for Democrats is, are Katie, is, is Katie Hobbs, who's the current Secretary of State. But on the Republican side, um, again, the most likely nominee, who was endorsed by Trump and Peter Thiel and Michael Flynn and Peter Navarro and all these people is Carrie Lake, who is a, uh, she used to be like a TV anchor in Arizona. She is very, very, very far to the right. Um, there was an article published recently where her friends were like, yeah, something about like COVID and social media just like completely changed her. Um, huh. And, uh, you know, she she's very controversial. Um, and she's running against uh, Karen Taylor Robson, who is who was a member of the Arizona Board of Regents. I don't, I'm not entirely sure what they do, but she was endorsed by Mike Pence. Hmm. So it is an interesting kind of uh, fight between, a proxy war between Pence and Trump. She was also endorsed by Doug, Doug Ducey, the incumbent governor. And they had like dueling rallies the other day, I want to say. Trump and Pence were in Arizona at the same time. I believe so, yeah. Exciting. So you're seeing that play out there. It's not really interesting on the Democratic side in Arizona. I mean, the incumbent Senator Mark Kelly, I think, I'm not actually sure if he faced any challenge. I believe he's already the presumptive nominee. Yeah. Uh, and Katie Hobbs, their Secretary of State, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. yes, uh, yeah. is also, I believe, basically a presumptive nominee. Mm-hmm. Um, but Arizona will be interesting for the... Uh, uh, I don't know. It'll. Uh, who who do you think it's gonna be? You think it's gonna be Masters? I I think it's gonna be Masters. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I I was I was looking while doing some research. I did notice a certain uptick for um, Jim Layman in the pool in the uh, polls. It it could be. I mean, there's still you know still a week. 
uh, yeah. That teal money helps. Yeah. Um, okay, so after Arizona, that same night, August 2nd, we also have Missouri. So you talked about Greetings a lot. Mm-mm. And I guess that's the only really interesting race there. Yes. Um, do you... Do we think Greetings is going to win? If you had asked me a couple days ago, I probably would have said yes. Polls have shifted a bit recently, and now it seems like Schmidt is probably the most likely winner. That's that's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I So Hart, Hertzler's... That's not going to happen. Probably not. No. Interesting. Why, why are we watching... Are we just watching Missouri to see if Greetings pulls it out? Yeah, pretty much. And if he doesn't... Then we will stop watching this basically for this cycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Jason Candor isn't running this time, so you know people aren't quite as interested in it. Um, yeah. It is interesting though. You look at like the endorsements, and it's like Hartzler was you know so well like, like I said Michael Flynn like Sebastian Gorka Rudy Giuliani they all endorsed Greitens. Um, Vicky Hartzler was endorsed by Josh Hawley, and it looks like that's not going to go anywhere. So. Um, it's like an interesting like mix of endorsements, and she was endorsed by Ted Cruz, Sarah Kaby Sanders. Um, it's a little bit of divide in like Trump world for that one. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, we'll talk about a divided state. Let's talk about the Badger State, Wisconsin. Hmm. That's August 9th. So the two races, at least I've been following there, are the uh, gubernatorial election, where Republicans are having their primary to unseat Democratic incumbent Governor Tony Evers. Yes, and then there's the uh, Senate election where Democrats are having their primary to unseat uh, the Republican incumbent and one of the craziest people in this country, <laughs> uh, incumbent Senator Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson's like really, uh, and I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean that is uh, <laughs> as nonpartisan and as I can. Like Ron Johnson's got some ideas. <laughs> He's yeah. out there. <laughs> Um, well, I guess let's talk governor, governor first. Um, how you feel, feeling about the Wisconsin governor's race? I think it'll probably be Cleefish. Okay. She's the, the bigger name. Le- former lieutenant governor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't s- see, but M- Michelle's is the other, other yeah, name. Yeah, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's who Trump endorsed because Cleefish's kid is friends with Jim Hag or one of the Hagdorns' kids. Right. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting. Why are Why are you watching that race? Just do you think one of them has a better chance against Evers than the other? Well, it would it would be an interesting test, just like of like how 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 much impact does the Trump endorsement have in this race, especially considering that Cleefish mm. I think is currently the favorite and. You know, like I said, I just think like the, the bigger name. She's she's gotten more of the endorsements. Really, uh, she's also basically said that like the election is like the Wisconsin. If you're looking for for sort of like, um, and Wisconsin is probably like where the biggest movement of like the 2020 election is rigged. We have to undo the 2020 election. Like it grounds not not ground zero so much as like the most intense. Like the hot spot for that is Wisconsin. The most intense and Cleefish initially sort of said that biden won but now she's like actually i think it was rigged this whole thing blah 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 so she is like an interesting interesting for that reason especially because evers again looked very very weak initially and there's still a very very possibly even like better than 50 percent chance that he ends up losing but it'll be interesting to see if somebody as far to the right as cleafish has gotten um if that's a liability against evers yeah uh, on the, on the senate side you have, and this is the Democrats trying to unseat Ron Johnson. So, so the two big, oh, well, I guess there's three big candidates in that race, right? There's Mandela Barnes, the lieutenant governor, uh, who, who's like the progressive favorite. Is that fair to say? Yeah, he's also, I think, just the favorite in general. He's probably going to win. Well, there's also Alex <laughs> Lazary, the senior vice president of the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, and also famous for being a former intern for the Obama administration. Um, I just love that they like put that on Wikipedia. It's funny to me. 
Um, he's, I don't know, he's not done poorly. He's got a lot of money that he's pouring into this race, and he's caught up to Barnes. They're not that far off from each other. Um, and I, I guess uh, Sarah Godlewski, the state treasurer, is the third runner-up. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's gotten some more moderate support, or some more establishment support, I guess I'd say. Like Emily's List, etc. Donna Shalala. Yeah. And apparently Bonnie Vare, which I had no idea about, but that's interesting. Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That'll yeah, really I, turn it. I think Barnes will end up winning. Um, he's endorsed, like you said, by Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, AOC, Katie Porter, John Fetterman. Um, but he's also endorsed by Jim Clyburn and Ruben Gallego and yeah. Cory Booker, right? So he's kind of like found this like sweet spot i would say yeah, yeah i i think it went alex lazar he is like the second midwestern sports team owner who is running in a race matt dolan in ohio oh, yeah. either used to or still owns like part of the, the cleveland guardians so huh. yeah I, I guess the reason i'm watching this and i think ron johnson is going to win because I, I actually think his particular brand brand of crazy there's a reason it kind of works in Wisconsin, and you mentioned Wisconsin has been like the epicenter or ground zero for a lot of these conspiracies. I don't think Ron Johnson, do I think Ron Johnson is like particularly intelligent? No, but I think he's particularly wise mm-hmm. about this. Like I, he's not, he's preaching what people want to hear. Yeah, uh, I would handicap this race as leaning or likely Republican. But the reason I'm watching this is it'll be such a, good test of if you nominate a more like progressive leaning candidate in the midwest which a lot of bernie sanders acolytes insist must be done Mm -hmm. uh, and i guess i'm watching this with the tim ryan race in ohio too it's like does it work or does it like really not work yeah (laughs) because i think it's it's gonna be one of those two yeah ron johnson is also i think one of those guys in a way he's like the republican answer again not in sort of like um extremity or in ideas but as far as like uh luck like cyclical luck as like john tester and joe manchin and sharon brown mm. where he's just been running in like very he's so 2010 2016 both very good years for republicans right. and now 2022 might be as well whereas you know as opposed to like 2006 2012 2018 right um so a, a little bit of uh luck there but yeah no i i think you're right wisconsin is interesting in that the city of Milwaukee has had a socialist mayor more recently than it has had a Republican mayor. And yet it is also the home of Joe McCarthy. So <laughs> a land of contrast. All right. Um, and then I guess the last two big primaries that I wrote down to watch are both on the same day. And they're both on August 16th. Uh, and those are Alaska and Wyoming. And mm. it's convenient that they're on the same day because I think the thing I'm watching in both of them is does the anti-Trump candidate win? And that being Liz Cheney, will she win her primary in Wyoming? And uh, Lisa Murkowski, the incumbent Republican senator in Alaska, can she pull off that new ranked choice voting in Alaska to to go through? I guess I'm more bullish on Murkowski than I am on Cheney. Yeah, I I am too. I mean, Alaska is a very unique state politically. Um and I think, you know, Murkowski is just like, it's such, it's such a big, her name, despite it being kind of, you know, a little more complicated than some other names, is like, it's it's a very powerful brand name in Alaska. Um, she literally won a write-in election in, I believe it was 2010, when she yeah. lost the primary. Um, but yeah, there, there is this new system where it's a, it's a top four primary system. So... Like California, all the candidates run on one ballot, but instead of the top two making it to the general election, the top four do. And then also that election, the general election, is ranked choice vote. Um, so you have to win 50% of the vote, and if you if you come in fourth place, you then get eliminated, and so on and so forth. Um, and yeah, Trump has endorsed Kelly Tishabaka against Who Lisa Murkowski. I believe has actually led in several polls. Tishabaka? Yeah. In a couple of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that'll be interesting. I mean, we may not... We may not... Uh, I wonder who the top two candidates will be. <laughs> well, I think it'll probably be Murkowski and Tishbaka. 
and then all the Democrats consolidate behind Murkowski and the general. Well, yeah, or they just have a rank second or third. Um, Yeah. That's the thing about... uh, That's the thing about rank choice voting is that, you know, your your vote gets transferred. So if if I had to... If I had to guess how I think this election is going to turn out, I think it'll be... My guess is first round, Tishabaka has like a very slim lead ahead of Murkowski. Mm. Second round, Murkowski adds like the Democratic votes. I think actually a similar thing will end up happening in that House election as well, where my guess is Sarah Palin will like lead on the first ballot, but then it, when the Democratic votes come in, they'll go to um, whichever Begich is running this time and stuff. We live in a very exciting era. Like, I, <laughs> I actually am all for this. This state's like kind of experimenting a little with new election systems. It's just, yeah. it makes things interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else to mention about Wyoming, or are we just watching it for the sake of watching it? Uh, I would not be shocked if Liz Cheney loses. <laughs> Ooh. I know, really going I know, on a ledge. Going out there, but, um, um, any, any other big things you're watching this, this primary season as we wind it down? I mean, they're, uh, so New York, because of redistricting issues, had to um, divide up its primaries. And uh, so they already had their statewide primaries for Senate and governor and comptroller and things like that. Oh, I think they have a comptroller. And then, but their congressional primaries will be, uh, when will they be? They'll be in August 23rd. August, August 23rd. Um, that'll be interesting because there is actually one seat that is like completely new in like South Manhattan that Bill de Blasio was initially running for. He no longer is running for it. Um, (laughs) but like, it's just been a lot of just like shenanigans where, well, first of all, you have Jerry Nadler and Carolyn Maloney districted in the same thing. And instead of one of them moving to this new district, they've been like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, in New York's 10th, which is the new one that the Blasio was running in, and he, he wisely dropped out of, now you have Mondaire Jones running in that seat, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because Mondaire Jones currently represents the 17th district, which is, like, nowhere really near that district. Um, it's in, like, the Hudson Valley, so it's, like, way north. It's not even, like, in any parts of it are, but, like, most of it is not even, like, in New York City. Um, hmm. But he was districted in the same district as Sean Patrick Maloney. And so rather than face off against Sean Patrick Maloney, Mondaire Jones decided, actually, I'm going to try and win this open seat. Uline Yo, who's an assemblywoman from New York, will probably, my guess is she'll end up winning that, but it's like probably the most open Democratic primary in the House. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm interested in looking at it. Hmm. I, I guess the, the one I'm still keeping an eye on is also for the Florida primary uh, which mm. is August 23rd for governor specifically, yeah. where you have Agriculture Commissioner uh, Nikki Freed and former Republican governor, now Democratic Congressman Charlie Crist, mm-hmm. both running in the Democratic primary for governor. And they're like basically tied now, yeah. uh, trying to defeat Ron DeSantis. Um, I. I don't. I don't really know why I'm watching that because I don't think either of them will win a general election, and it, it's <laughs> like they're not ideologically that different. It's no. just interesting to me. Well, yeah. it's interesting to see Chris. Chris' whole journey has been interesting, right? It has. He's elected uh, as a governor as a Republican. Direct, he's elected governor as a Republican. He then decides he's going to run for the Senate in 2010, I believe. Yeah, 2010 as an independent. Comes in second place against. Marco Rubio, um, and then serves the rest of his term as an independent, then runs for the House as a Democrat. You know, fine. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll end with this question about primaries. What what coalition or, or group of people do you think has been the winner so far of this primary season? Has it been, like, the left? Has it been election deniers? Has it been Trump? I don't know. Hmm. I think that's such a hard question to answer. You're drawing a line I, through all of the states. <laughs> I think of sheer attention p- paid to them. It's been Latinos, right? Mm. Like they have been the story, right? And and what they want or what they don't want has been kind of like the most talked about thing 
and talked about they've been the most talked about democratic demographic group right because there was this feeling that they could you know shift right very severely um biden is not very popular among uh latinos right now and there was actually the only there have been a couple special elections since you know congress was sworn in in 2021 the only flip thus far has been in uh, south texas where uh, myra flores won an open seat after vicente um or no philemon vela excuse me uh resigned Mm -hmm. um anyway she's kind of viewed as like the sort of prototypical kind of like pro-trump um latina um, she's going to be running against a Democratic incumbent in the redrawn district in, in in November, so we'll see we'll see we'll see how that goes for her. But they've been, like I said, the most talked, the most certainly the most talked about demographic um, as far as, but like actual winning. I, I like that answer. Okay, I mean, you're I, okay I, with I, it. I, th- I think uh, it, it's hard to it's hard to deny that election deniers are having a moment. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Or a lot of people who flirt with not quite giving an answer about it. I'm looking at, like, Adam Laxalt types or mm. uh, if you want to go, you know, back to last year, like, Glenn Youngkin types. Like, I, people like that, I feel like, are kind of having a moment. It's like people that are very clearly, uh, they're just being mum about <laughs> an incredibly... Uh, critical national issue they're just yeah. not really discussing it and it's unclear how they feel and i don't know they're winning i mean i think you could almost i think you could say trump is kind of winning too right i i don't i can't think in my lifetime of a president of a former president we have discussed more than him right in in terms of like his impact on elections that are going on after he has left office yeah you know like i also like i was thinking about this the other day and it's like if i were trying to describe like some of these primaries to people and it's like i use the phrase like oh this republican is like right wing but this one is like a moderate it's like what i'm really describing is like their proximity to trump right Mm. like you could ostensibly like have you know lisa murkowski's voting record but if you also think that the election was stolen and you want trump to run in 2024 you're, you're you're thrown all the way to the right side of the um, spectrum. Whereas if you're someone like Tom Rice, who is like an avowed conservative, but who hates Trump, you're then kind of like considered. I know people are calling him a moderate, right? But he's not considered. You would not describe him as like right. You right. know what I mean? Um, so he's uh, uh, the the political spectrum of the Republican Party now revolves around Donald Trump, to the chagrin of many people that I know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, well, since we spent all this time talking about primaries, Mike, here's a primary related in our lifetime for this episode. Loosely primary related. Uh, in Deep Red, Utah, which we didn't really mention, we saw the Democratic Party strategically kind of withdraw from the race to throw its support be- behind independent Evan McMullen in the Senate race. And while independent isn't exactly a full third party candidate, uh, so to speak, like the libertarians. My question is: In our lifetime, will we see a third-party senator elected? Yes. Oh, really? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. See, I, I think I'm going to say no. Like I... independent, like a Bernie Sanders, Angus King, or maybe a McMullen. Sure. You think like like a libertarian is going to get elected? Well, I don't know about a libertarian. I don't know. I, I just I just think that. Um, I don't. I don't see it. Who? Where? What party? It could happen. I don't know. There was, you know, in, in like the seventies, there was um, William F. Buckley's brother. I forget his actual name, but William F. Buckley's brother was a member of the Conservative Party who won the Senate election. It could happen. I, I, I you know, is it going to happen like more than once? Probably not. But. <laughs> I wouldn't be, I don't know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, like, I mean, you know, maybe there's a universe where there's, like, a a split in the 2024 Republican primary between Trump and DeSantis. And maybe Trump runs as a third party, and people run as Trumpites or whatever. You know? Um, Check out my article about that exact thing. I mean, just, like, but if you look at, like, the history of, like, third party, um, candidates in the u.s it's usually like 
a very kind of like inward like local kind of like grievance that kind of like you'll have like like i think it was wally hickle was governor of alaska as a member of the alaska independence party he didn't actually want alaska to be like independent from the united states but like he just couldn't get the republican nomination so he's like fine i'll run on this ticket instead hmm. i think you could see it happen interesting i'm, I'm still gonna say no so well, let, let's ask so we're, we're talking okay. winning an election though right appointed yeah. doesn't count right yeah because, i just think appointed would be harder well it's happened in our lifetime okay dean barkley uh was appointed senator of minnesota by jesse ventura oh my god <laughs> okay fine he was a member of the independence party of minnesota aka the reform party okay yeah that doesn't count okay <laughs> uh, I, 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 again, it's like I'm looking at the list now. It's interesting. It, I think it's pretty unlikely. I would not bet money on it, but you're welcome to. I'll bet you. What? What about? <laughs> what about the house? Oh, the house for sure. Okay. I, but you know, there's 430 of 35 of them. It's a lot more chances. There's a lot of weird stuff that goes down down ballot. That's true. I don't know. Uh, but we will end with that. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, be sure to reach out to us on Twitter. You can find and follow us at The Post Writer or via our email address, contactwithpostwriter.com. We love hearing from you. Tell us what third party you're forming to run in a Senate race. Uh, or tell us what you think the most important primary this cycle is. Um, Politics Express is a Postwriter podcast brought to you by thepostwriter.com. You can check out the stuff we work on, things we've written, our other podcasts, and more over there. Uh, and thanks, Mike, for, for joining. It's, it's good to be back. It certainly is. <laughs>